Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Digital Roadmap, an old-school gaming podcast where we look at how the games of the past brought us the games that we love today. I'm your host, Grant, and today we're discussing Rise of Nations. This is a wonderful hybrid game that came from Big Huge Games back in 2003. I'm going to give my standard spoiler warning here, but at the same time, there really isn't much to spoil in this because there's really not a lot of story to spoil. The basic controls of this game, obviously, it's a real-time strategy game and a turn-based strategy game. So you have your mouse, left-click to select things, right-click to move things, scroll to the sides of the screen and then move the map at any time, or you can use your arrow keys to scroll. And on top of that, when you're in the RTS section, the real-time strategy sections, you have a bunch of hotkeys, as you would with most games of this type, that allow you to jump to your construction spots, set what your workers are going to construct, you can obviously control number your armies and then hit that number to select that army as a whole and carry on that way. Now, I mention RTS sections because this game does have more than just a real-time strategy component. The biggest element of this game, the most memorable element of this game, is the grand campaign, the Conquer the World campaign. And in that, you're basically looking at a world map where you're using risk-like movements where you select a little army and you manage that and you take over different sections of the world. And when you go to attack a section of the world, instead of throwing dice like you would in Risk or letting the game roll dice like it would in, say, Civilization when two armies clash, it zooms in and suddenly you're in a real-time strategy sequence. And it's just, it's amazing to see it done that way. It's great. It makes perfect sense. Depending on the territory that you're taking over at this point, if it's owned, you're basically going to run into almost like a skirmish, a little here's a preset army, go take them out or survive a set amount of time with limited building abilities. Basically, here's some buildings, here's some resources. Survive. Good luck. But if the territory you're attacking is owned by another country or another empire, I guess, that's when you get into just a very classic real-time strategy match with tech trees, base building, building your army, resource management, all those elements, and you can actually advance an age. You can advance a technological age in each of those RTS fights. If you're playing multiplayer or just playing long-term skirmish maps, then you can advance multiple ages over the course of a game, and depending how long you want to run it out, you can advance a long time. Now, as part of the grand campaign, though, captured territories do provide a bonus for the overall game. Sometimes you'll get more armies. Sometimes you'll get resources especially resource cards that you can boost when you go into a new section. And also, if you have an army in a neighboring territory when you go to attack, say two of the borders have your armies on it, you now have a second army that's going to be there to help boost you, not only combat-wise, but also just help you get resources, help you control the map as a whole. Now, the way I see it, the mechanics are where this game really, really thrives and really stands out from a lot of the competition. As you advance ages, you unlock new resources and new units, just like you would in, say, Civilization. So all of a sudden, get far enough along, oil is available on the map, and you have to manage that. Uranium becomes available, and you have to get some of that if you want to have any type of nuclear power or nuclear weapons. You can upgrade your units as you play along in most real-time strategy games. Again, this is done at advancement buildings, so blacksmiths or the equivalent thereof as the game goes along. Now, during the Grand Campaign, as I mentioned, you can really only advance one age in the RTS map. And when the age advances properly on the Grand Campaign screen, everybody goes up. Everybody's advanced to that age. Everybody's unlocked what's needed for that. 
This game, much like any type of quote-unquote historical-based game, does have wonders. And these provide permanent benefits. So depending on how you want to play, either in a skirmish map, in Conquer the World, however you're going to play this game, you really want to choose what wonder you build based on your strategy because they are obviously resource-intensive. They do make a huge impact on how the game is played. So always think of that ahead of time. Units in this game are, again, very standard, very straightforward, essentially rock, paper, scissors style matchups. So your mounted units are going to be stronger against your infantry, but spear units are stronger against mounted units, and infantry are strong against spear units, that kind of thing. And then you have your siege engines, your siege weapons that are going to be able to take out buildings much better than any of your other guys, but are very vulnerable if people come at them. This is one of the games out there that includes a trebuchet in it. I always am a fan of that. I always recommend it. I just love trebuchets. Now, just like any other real-time strategy game, you have workers in this. And they're used to build buildings. They're used to gather resources. But if you gather too many resources at a single time, you will lower the resource per worker value until you upgrade your infrastructure. So this game treats it as basically you have too many people you're trying to upkeep too many resources you're trying to gather and manage at any given time. So now instead of getting 30 stone per miner, you're going to get 26 stone per miner. And that adds up. I mean, you're still getting the max amount that you're able to handle. You're just getting less per worker that you could. So it just, it's a balancing act that's really fun to do in this. And the biggest thing I want to talk about, the biggest thing that this game brings to it, especially in regards to the real-time strategy map, is borders. Now, I know Civilization has borders. Other 4X games and some real-time strategy games do use borders in their design. But this game uses attrition alongside those borders. So if you have an enemy unit in your territory, as long as they don't have any type of supply wagon, which is an actual item, a supply wagon, or to represent the supply chain of a moving army, they're going to take damage while they just stand around in your territory. They can be just over the border, and they can be getting beaten up by it. And the same goes for you. So if you go into an enemy territory, bring some supply wagons with you, they'll have an area of effect that keeps your army safe. Giving to charity is a good thing. Giving to charity and getting a game in return is an even better thing. With the Humble Store, you can do just that. When you buy from the Humble Store, a portion of every purchase goes to charity. It doesn't matter if you buy a single game, one of their game or book bundles, or their monthly bundle deal. Every purchase helps out a great cause. Humble includes a wonderful collection of new releases, indie darlings, and even the time-tested classics. Games like Orwell, where you serve as a member of a government surveillance program, deciding the information to pass up the chain of command. Do you ignore the context and make someone look like just an unhinged killer? Or do you ignore your instincts, even at the risk to public safety, just to make sure you don't give the wrong details? One of the classics that I love and I keep going back to is Fallout, the original. It's a post-apocalyptic game that launched the whole series. Can you find the water chip needed to save your people before time runs out? And I don't even want to get into the rest of the story after that happens. After you win your objective, there's a whole other story that pans out that's also very crucial. And as an added bonus for listeners of this podcast, 
If you buy anything after following the link in the show notes, a small portion of your purchase is going to be given to the show. This helps support the kind of content you're listening to right now, helps offset some of our hosting costs. So if you were looking for a new game or to get a classic that won't run off the discs anymore because it just doesn't run on modern systems, go to the Humble Store using the links in the show notes and get something for your donation. Now, graphically, this game, you know, we're talking early 2000s. It's a pre-rendered characters. It's not pixel, it's more polygon-based, but pre-rendered in that regard. It's aged okay, but you can really see the difference in the enhanced edition that they put out recently, where they really went back to redo the art styles. The other nice thing about the graphics in this is that each culture is given some distinct style. So whatever empire you're playing as, you're going to get a bit of flair to their units. You're going to get a bit of a flair to their buildings so that it really looks like you're playing as these nations. Now, there's some single battle sections. There's some scenarios that you can play out in this game. But the story isn't really there. I mean, the only real story is the grand campaign, the Conquer the World campaign, that you make up for yourself as you're playing. Like, if you want to play as the Aztecs and take everybody out, dominate South and North America, go for it. That's your story now. Now, the soundtrack for this is... Fairly atmospheric classical music for the most part. It gives you an ambiance when you're playing. It's music there for the sake of music, more or less. Does great to kind of lay out the foundations of it all, but it doesn't it doesn't do anything unique to itself. It's not a soundtrack I would go out of my way to grab, to be honest. Now, the reason the previous episode I wanted to talk about big huge games is because not only is this game phenomenal but it also has such an interesting story behind it and behind the rights and behind the company behind it as well. So obviously when Big Huge Games was sold to 38 Studios, when they were bought by 38 Studios, the rights for Rise of Nations came with it. So when 38 collapsed, the rights went onto the auction block with all the other assets, all the other IP that they owned, and Microsoft actually bought up Rise of Nations, which is why we've been able to get this enhanced edition, because... They were the original publisher, so now they're making a deal with themselves, essentially, to publish this game and put it out there. So they own it still, which is really nice to see. It'd be a little bit nicer if Big Huge Games owned the overall license for it, but obviously they have some connection to it since they're doing a mobile version by the same name, or similar name. Now, the core game itself, Rise of Nations, actually did have one expansion pack come out, which just added to the nations that you could play as, added a few more scenarios, that kind of thing. A typical strategy game expansion pack. New people, new scenarios. It also had a spin-off game called Rise of Legends, which takes the same idea, but just now brings in mythical creatures. So now you have Krakens that you can bring in. You have, I don't think you had the Elder Gods, but you have these mythical figures you can play as the Greeks and have the Titans fighting for you, that kind of situation. In terms of influence on this, I mean... I almost want to say Total War, but that franchise already existed at the point that this game came out, and it doesn't use the base building in their maps. It's just skirmishes when you're playing on that, but for the most part, especially if you're looking for titles still in development now, the Total War franchise is going to be the closest outside of this game for that blend of grand strategy turn-based map with real-time battles in it. One other game that did come out a few years after this, and I think there had to be some level of influence is Star Wars Empire at War. It's a strange one where you have a more turn-based, slower-moving galaxy map, but all your battles on the planets are fought real-time strategy-style, usually either missions 
or just grant here. Here's your units, build some bases, go mess up the other side. Obviously, that has more of a story to it because it is part of the Star Wars franchise, and it's real easy to get stories going with that. Now, the manual for this, again, we're talking 2003. Manuals are slowly going out of style now. There's no world building. There's very little overall style to it. It has a basic layout design to it, which is nice. But it does give a good breakdown of all the different concepts and everything you're going to run into on a map, be it your your resource knowledge piles where you collect that and all of a sudden you've got extra units coming your way or extra resources. Or what a border looks like so you can see what a border looks like so you know you've crossed it and, oh dear, that's dangerous. But it doesn't do much for the world building. It doesn't make you feel like you're part of this, but that's kind of fair because it is history-based, so it doesn't need to. Now, personally, I am going to 100% recommend this game. It has never left my mind. It is always in the back of my mind as something to play. If I'm really feeling something epic, I load up Conquest the World, and I'll reinstall it. The main recommendation I'm going to have for it is the Enhanced Edition that's out now, only because it's optimized for modern systems. It's a lot easier to run. And it just looks a little bit cleaner. It's going to be a little bit easier to get into. And you've already got enough of a barrier of entry with this Conquer the World campaign. But yeah, this game is such a great blend of turn-based and real-time strategy. If you have any interest in either of those genres, grab it right now and get playing. And so that's it for Rise of Nations. Thanks for joining me this episode. And if you want to reach out, you can do that on Twitter, at Roadmap Podcast. You can come to the website, RoadmapPodcast.com. Or even come chat on the Discord channel or the Facebook page. While you're there, feel free to suggest some older games that we should play. Maybe share some of your favorite memories of Rise of Nations. Maybe any other RTS games that you like. Any strategy games you like. Or even just ask some questions. I'm always there for that. Don't forget to subscribe as well on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Really, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening right now and you're not subscribed, subscribe there. Next episode, I'm going to be looking at the issue of hype in game promotion, and especially Peter Molyneux in particular. If you just had a reflex reaction to that name, you know what I'm talking about. Otherwise, I will explain next episode. And following that, I'm going to look at one of those games that are super hyped when they were coming out, but I'm going to try and look at it on its own merits, and that is a game called Black and White 2. I'm picking two specifically because I can't get one up and running. I've been trying for ages. Now, I'm looking forward to going back to this game. It's another strategy-esque blend with a god game. Again, I'm, I'm in a hybrid mood right now for these types of games, so that's what I'm doing. So come back next time to hear my take on some of that stuff, and thanks so much for listening.